This podcast contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is season eight, episode 14 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This happened in 2003. I was 18 years old. A friend of mine, who we'll call Mary, asked me if I would go to Virginia with her and her family. I thought that it would be a fun experience, and I was excited for the trip. We traveled and stayed in a hotel for a few days, visiting her friends and family. It was very beautiful, and we were having a lot of fun. Then her family decided that they wanted to visit a distant family member who lived in West Virginia and stay over for the night. When we arrived, I was introduced to an older couple. The man was a distant cousin who we'll call Jim. He was tall and thin with white hair and glasses. They both seemed nice, but a little strange to me. Something just felt off with them. I thought, who am I to judge? Maybe it's just that I'm from New York and things are a little different in the South. Now Mary wasn't feeling well, so she had to lay down. That left me feeling awkward trying to make small talk. Mary's parents thought that it would be fun if I took a ride with Jim on his ATV to see their large property. There were horses and cows, and they thought that I might enjoy that since I'm such an animal lover. I've always been a quiet girl always wanting to please people, so although I didn't want to go especially with an older man that I didn't know, I still agreed. I got on the back of Jim's ATV, and he started driving. We drove down a dusty road with trees and fields surrounding us. He pointed to the left, where there were cows in a field, and kept driving right by. Weren't we supposed to see the animals? I thought. We drove a good distance from the house and then suddenly he pulled over. We were on top of a hill where there was no one in sight. He started saying how nice the view was and started asking me questions. Personal questions. He first asked if I had a boyfriend. As soon as he asked, I felt sick. That feeling in the pit of my stomach. I knew that this was a bad situation. I said, yes, I do, even though it was a lie. He then said how lucky he must be and commented on my body. Now I'm five foot tall and I was just wearing a sweater, nothing revealing whatsoever. He then asked some sexually vulgar questions about me being good in bed. I didn't know how to react to that. I was well aware that we were in the middle of nowhere and the only way back to the house was to ride with Jim. I felt panicked and alone but I knew that I had to stay calm in order to figure my way out of this situation. I nervously laughed it off and quickly changed the subject to work. I said that I worked at an insurance company. It used to be an old Grumman building. 
He was very excited because he used to work for Grumman. I knew that this was my ticket out of the situation. Without giving too many details, we spoke about old airplane hangers. He then said that it's getting late, and they are going to ask where we are because dinner should be ready soon. I was so happy to hear that, but still, I had to get back on the ATV with Jim and hold on to his sweaty shoulders the whole way home. When we returned, we ate dinner, and then it was time for bed. Mary was still in the bedroom, and luckily, we had to share a bed that night. I laid down between the wall and Mary and watched the doorway the entire night. I was so afraid Jim was going to appear. Luckily, he didn't. The next morning, we ate breakfast. Mary was feeling much better, and then we were ready to leave. I felt such a relief getting in that car and driving away. I didn't tell anyone about my experience because it was her father's family. I just wanted to forget it. I wish I could say that was it, but there is more. We returned home, and it was back to work as usual, forgetting all about Jim and his wife. A few weeks go by and my supervisor says that there's a phone call for me. That it's a family friend. I answered confused. It was Jim, telling me how nice it was to see me and that he was planning on visiting me in the next few weeks. He was coming for work. He wants to see me. I'm now very worried. I did not tell him where I worked. I was very vague. How did he know my full name? The phone calls persisted almost every day. I had to ignore them, and I told my supervisor what had happened while I was away. She urged me to tell someone, so I contacted my friend Mary. I told her everything. I was mortified. For some reason, I felt as if it were my fault, or maybe if I had told Mary and her family, they wouldn't talk to me anymore. Luckily, that was not the case. Mary's father called Jim and screamed at him. I never heard from him again. Her dad then called me and apologized that I was in that situation. Mary and I are still friends, but she lives a few states away. I never brought up Jim again. But Jim and your wife, let's not meet. This starts off in the Midwest, in the most dangerous city in my state. I had moved to the city right after winter, and I was just adjusting to the city life. It wasn't a strange thing to have very weird encounters, though. I just personally have not had any until now. Earlier that night, my friends and I decided to go out and have a few drinks. After a very fun night, we decided to go back to my room to have a sleepover. We stayed up pretty late, having late night drinks, talking, and slowly I started to grow more and more tired. I looked over at my friends and told them that I was drifting to sleep, but they decided to stay up a bit longer. One of my friends decided to go back to her dorm to grab her sleepwear, while the other stayed in my room, but she started drifting to sleep as well. After about 20 minutes, my roommate busted into my room 
telling me that there was a young woman standing outside our dorm speaking nonsense to herself. My friend and I immediately woke up in a drunken panic and ran to the door to check through the peephole. But she was gone. A million questions obviously flooded through my brain. Who was she and why was she standing at our door? What was she saying and how long had she been there? We all calmed down after a few minutes and I ran to check the door again and realized that our sweet door and my bedroom door were both unlocked the entire time. She could have been in my room and I, I wouldn't even have known it. I started to panic. My friend and I went to check the whole suite and my room, and she was nowhere to be found. It's just all in my head. I'm, I'm freaking out, I keep telling myself. My friend and I got back into bed and tried to fall back to sleep, but I kept obsessively thinking about that girl. Before I knew it, I had drifted back to sleep. And not too long after I fell asleep, my sweet door violently jiggled. It woke me and my friend up. I knew it couldn't have been one of my roommates because they were all home. What if it was her? I ran out of my room to check the people. And again, there was nobody there. I couldn't be crazy. My friend woke up to it too. Throughout the night, the door handle jiggled a few more times. But I just assumed that no one would be there. Or worse... I would see her. After that night, there were no more sightings of her. But now, when I hear the door handle moving like that, the feeling of fear that I had that night comes creeping back. To that girl that eerily stood at my front door, I will forever wonder why you tried to come into our room at the darkest hours. But most importantly, I hope we never meet. This happened when I was 19. I'm now 25. At the time, I was living my life very recklessly. One day I was hanging out with a good friend of mine who we're going to call Jay. Jay lived on the rough side of town, but for the most part, her neighborhood was quiet. Not a lot went on. We were sitting in her house, bored, trying to see what kind of trouble we could get into. Not literally, but knowing us... It was always something. We decided to go have breakfast at a nearby restaurant. As we were leaving her neighborhood to pull onto the main road, we see what you would refer to as a bad boy, tattoos on his face. He looked a bit shady, just standing near a corner house. This was what we were attracted to. It's the cringiest thing to think of now, and thank God both of our tastes in men have changed drastically. Anyway, we both see him and look at each other. He doesn't notice us at the time. For context, he's on the right side, Jay is driving and I'm in the passenger side. We pull onto the main road and are boasting about how cute the guy was as we drive maybe another two minutes. Of course, our crazy asses decide to double back and at this point I don't know what we were thinking because I don't know what we would have said. But we go back and we don't see him and just brush it off as it was probably for the best. Who knew that would foreshadow 
that indeed it was the best. We continue to go back to the breakfast spot, sit down, eat, talk about whatever, and forget about this guy, until we're on our way back to Jay's house. I'm now driving, and Jay is in the passenger side. As soon as we pull back into the neighborhood, boom, the guy is walking down the street. Without hesitation, Jay is telling me to pull up next to him. Both she and I were excited, so I pull up, and with the confidence that I've always had, I say, What's up with you? Immediately, he walks up to the car and starts to spew about how beautiful I was. Where were we heading? Where were we from? You know, the normal stuff. He and I exchange numbers, and he tells me his name, for the story we're going to call him Lenny. Then Jay and I continue to drive back to her house. He texts me as soon as I walk into Jay's house, which couldn't have been more than four minutes later. Again, we aren't thinking too much about this, as we used to call it, just adding another man to our roster. Embarrassing, I know. I don't remember exactly what he was texting about. Nothing concerning at that point. Jay and I then decide to go to my house, which is about a 25-minute drive west. As we're driving to my house, I get a phone call from Lenny. He asks if I could pick him up, as he just got into an argument with his mother, and he needed to be picked up immediately. First red flag. Out of everyone this guy must know, he calls two girls that he met just an hour ago. But remember, we were not very aware of these things at the time. Or we probably just ignored it, and we decided to pick him up. He's walking maybe about two blocks from the house that he was originally at. He jumps in the car and starts to talk about how the house he was at was his mother's house and how she just called the police on him because he said, and I quote, I'm going to shoot this bitch up. He started talking about how his mom was always trying to get him locked up. He said that he had a gun on him and he made us pull over near some houses and hid it in some bushes. However, Jay and I never actually saw the gun. At this point, if this isn't screaming red flags, I don't know what would. He tells us this sad story about how his mother was never there, and she just wanted to kick him out because she resented him, blah blah blah. We asked if there was somewhere else we could drop him in the meantime. I don't remember where we dropped him off at, but we did. And now you would think, Jay and I would delete the number. But no, we decided that we were going to go to a popular hangout spot almost two hours away and invite him. Again, thank God Jay decided that we should stay closer, so only about 30 minutes away to another spot. I go home, Jay went home, and we decided to meet up later. There was a four-hour gap before I returned. We invited Lenny, and Lenny invited another friend for Jay. We meet up again, this time in my car. I pick everyone up. So we go on our way, and everything is good until we arrive at a gas station before our location. At this gas station, I run in to grab something, and Lenny comes in with me. As I'm paying, he's leaning against the register and being really weird. I hurry up and pay, then go outside. Soon as I get in the car, he pulls out a bottle of liquor, which he stole. I was upset because I can't stand thieves. This threw off my whole mood. 
Now I know I have an attitude, and Jay senses it. We make it to our location, and by now, he's been chugging this bottle. Mind you, no one is drinking but him. And nothing unusual happened while we were there, until on the way back to drop everyone off. Lenny begins to tell me that he wants to be with me. He wants to spend the night. He'll kill anyone who tries to be with me. He only wants me. Honestly, I'm kind of nervous, but not too alarmed. We drop off Lenny's friend first, then Jay. Lastly, I try to drop off Lenny. He refuses to get out of the car. He says that he doesn't want to go home. I say that I have to leave. My mom is waiting for me. He refuses again and begins to say what a dumbass adventure we went on. What a waste of time. I better accompany him inside. Again, I refuse. He says he has nowhere to stay and his mom won't let him back in. He then grabs my hair and tells me to drive. Of course, I'm frightened at this point. He caught me off guard. I begin to drive. Once I start driving, he calms down and asks me to go back to his friend's house that was with us earlier. He starts to tell me how stupid I am, and that if I wasn't so nice, he would bang my head against the steering wheel. Now, I don't know if I should just crash my car. So, I start to think, and I tell him, I forgot my wallet at Jay's house. He agrees to let me go back. As soon as I get out, he's right behind me. Jay notices that something is wrong, but she has sisters, and I didn't intend to bring this violent person into her house. So I whisper in Spanish that no matter what happens, do not come outside. Please call the police and have them here as soon as possible. I know something bad was about to happen. She runs and grabs a wallet. Clearly not mine. She just figured I was in danger, and if he found out that I was lying, something bad would happen. As soon as she shut the door, I told Lenny, I'm not getting back in the car. He's not coming with me. I tell him he's crazy. He began to chase me up and down the driveway, around the street. I catch a moment to dial 911 and put the phone in my pocket. Lenny is telling me that he has a gun on him and he's going to kill me. I make it back to Jay's door and start banging on it desperately. I can hear her sisters crying. I make a run for my car, and when I hit the unlock button, it unlocked the whole car, so Lenny is able to jump inside. So I jump out again, run back up the driveway, and of course I trip and fall. Lenny is now standing over me. He asks me, Are you ready to die? I kick him, and honestly, I, I don't know where I kicked him, but I was just kicking, and I see him guard himself. So I take that time to crawl to the side of Jay's parked car. I stand up and run to my car. I make it and hop inside, and honestly, when that much adrenaline is running through your body, things are like a scary movie. I couldn't get the key into the ignition. My hand was shaking. I was panicking. Lenny is now banging on the windows, trying to open the doors. At last, I get the key in, and I put it into drive and take off. I remember my phone in my pocket dialing 911. It's still on. The operator on the line asks me if I see the helicopter or any police officers. I got maybe four houses down, and just like that, a swarm of police officers. I pull over to the side and begin to cry. I can't even believe my life. All this 
could have been avoided. I start to talk to the police officers, and now I'm hyper-aware of my surroundings. Police officers everywhere. Lenny is being put in handcuffs, helicopters in the sky, Jay is outside her house crying. It's just too much. The officer told me that they would take him to jail, and he was also very intoxicated. I block his number. When I finally talked to Jay, she said that she thought he was beating my ass, and she heard him say that he was going to shoot me. So, she was also on the line with 911 and crying that he had a gun and he was going to shoot me. About three days later, Lenny was released. He found me on Instagram and DM'd me, trying to apologize. I blocked him immediately. My friend Jay's brother went to the spot where Lenny had supposedly hid that gun and nothing was there. We don't really know if he had a gun on him that night, because we didn't see one. He would just hold his waist as if he were going to take something out, but we never actually saw a gun. So maybe he was lying, but who knows. Jay moved out of that house shortly after all of this, thankfully. He wouldn't know where to find us. It was all quiet for a couple of months until Jay sent me a Facebook post of a police department three hours from where we lived. It said that he was wanted, along with the mother of his child, for stealing a TV out of a Walmart. They had him on camera. He had also been in trouble for domestic violence disputes. Fast forward to this year, 2022. Jay again sent me another post from Facebook where they had posted a picture of Lenny and the caption read that he had been shot and killed. Jay and I's perspective on strangers changed that day and we hardly trust anyone new. So Lenny, even though you've passed, I hope we never meet again. I am the youngest of five siblings, and I was born when my youngest brother was 10. So by the time that this happened, I had been living alone with my parents for quite a while. I was about to graduate university, and my parents decided to move out of town to a house in the countryside. Obviously, sustaining both houses wasn't an option, and they knew even if I worked my ass off, I wouldn't be able to generate enough money to live by myself. So they made a deal with my brother and his family to come live with me in exchange for very cheap rent. This was a small house, but larger than their apartment. I had a great relationship with my brother, but he had two kids and a third on the way, and I wasn't very fond of sharing the house with the kids. Also, he had recently divorced the mother of the first two kids, and I barely knew his newly pregnant girlfriend, although they had been living together for about a year now. I let all of this slide because, as a painfully obvious mistake child, I always felt responsible for my parents' unhappiness, as I knew they wanted to leave the city for years now but wouldn't leave me alone. Just some months after my brother and his family moved in, it was hell. I couldn't stand it. I had an awkward relationship with the new girlfriend, which grew even worse as her pregnancy advanced, and they had manners that I just couldn't bear with. They were way too laid back, filthy, and such. 
At that time, I had a boyfriend and we had been together for seven years. So when he started talking about finding an apartment for his own, I jumped right into the project, even knowing he really wasn't happy about it. After living with my brother for about a year and a half, I graduated and found a job that consisted of four night shifts and one day shift per week. Whatever, anything for my so very much desired freedom from that house. My niece was the happiest of all because my parents' house was so small. She ended up in a room that barely fit a single bed and now she was getting my awesome bedroom all to herself. I finally moved in with my beloved boyfriend and life was as good as it gets for about three weeks. Not a month had passed and I had found that my boyfriend was cheating on me and fell into the worst state of depression that you could imagine. I had nowhere to go back to as I didn't have a bedroom anymore and actually just didn't want to go back to that house at all. I didn't want to go back to my parents either as they now lived in such a desolate place. I wouldn't even have had anyone to talk to apart from them. And boy, I needed my friends at this time. So after spending a month or two sleeping in my car or crashing at friends' houses, my best friend offered for me to stay at her house as her brother was leaving to study abroad for a year. We had known each other since we were six. We were classmates at school, high school, and university, and even at our first jobs. We went on vacations together almost every year since the early 2000s. So I really knew her whole family pretty well, and they also knew me. I was in a really bad state. I barely got out of bed, and most of the time I spent crying or sleeping. And this worried my friend's parents. I've always been very shy and generally avoid any social interactions with anyone not too close to me, which were like 10 people at the most, including my parents and now ex-boyfriend. So, a couple of days go by, and my friend's dad comes to my room and asks if we could talk. He came in and gave me the kindest talk about trusting them, that they would always be there if I needed anything from them or if I needed a talk or a hug or whatever. He was very sweet. He had always been very affectionate. So I thanked him and assured him that I would count on them if I needed anything. But I was very uncomfortable and really just wanted him to leave me alone. After this interaction, every time he saw me anywhere in the house, he would give me this super tight, very long-lasting back-rubbing hug, breathing in my ear and asking me if I was all right, being the quote-unquote loving guy, I guess. It was extremely disgusting. I was grossed out. I had never been a huggy, touchy, standing too close to anyone kind of person with anyone that wasn't on my list of trusted people. And I was actually super clingy, touchy-huggy with those people. So after this, I started to avoid all contact with him at all costs. I noticed these weird interactions only took place, though, if there was no one else around. I scanned out the window to check if his truck was parked outside and only took a step out of my bedroom if I was absolutely sure that he wasn't home or when everybody was home. 
I wouldn't go out for food or even to the bathroom if he was around. But of course, there were times that I had to encounter him no matter what. The hugs were getting longer and he started to rub a wider area of my body every time, always whispering stuff in my ears and breathing on my neck. This man is about my height. I remember smelling his breath. It was horrid. His mouth stunk like he had been eating shit instead of toothpaste. One time, he could actually feel how stiff I was. And without letting go of the hug, he said something along the lines of, I'm sorry. I know this might be too much for you. I've been told before that I make people uncomfortable when I touch them. Are you feeling uncomfortable? To which I would reply by just slightly shaking my head. But in my mind, I was screaming, yes, I'm very uncomfortable. I can't stand any more of this. Please never get near me. Never talk to me again. But I felt like I couldn't say this after they opened their home to me and had been nothing but supportive this entire time. This went on for about a week or two, but when I managed to successfully avoid him for two days in a row, he decided to knock on my door and ask to come in to give me this excessively touchy hug. When this happened, I called my brother. I moved out the very next day to the small room in my parents' house. I called it the Harry Potter room because it very well resembled Harry's situation at his aunt and uncle's. I didn't even have a bed. Lucky for me, it only took me a couple of months to meet my now husband and flee from them. I always thought of telling my friend or her mom, but I don't really see what good that would have done. After all, he never did anything too serious apart from being extremely inappropriate. I told myself that it all happened at a time when my subconscious just couldn't trust any men, and he was indeed too kind for his own good. But we all know these kinds of people, and they don't make your stomach turn, nor trigger your fight or flight nor the urge to hide and never see them again. So I decided to trust my gut on this one, but keep it to myself. I have seen him once or twice after this, but always keep my distance. My friend now has her own place, so does my brother, and so do I. So although I know I will probably meet this man again eventually, I just hope that we are never alone again. This story takes place in 2013. I was 18 at the time, working as a delivery boy for a local Meals on Wheels company that worked out of a restaurant. One summer day, I was driving back from my last delivery at around 3 p.m. I was excited to get off of work and go over to my new girlfriend's house as her parents were gone for the night. And since I also lived with my parents, we didn't really get any time alone. We had only been together for about three weeks, but still. So you can imagine where my 18-year-old brain was at. Nothing else mattered but getting over there as quickly as possible. Needless to say, I was breaking the speed limit the entire way back to the restaurant. When I was about four or five blocks away from my destination, 
I saw something that just didn't sit right with me. Something told me that I needed to circle back and get a second look at this situation. I don't know what it was, maybe fate, maybe God, but it just felt wrong. I saw what I thought was a child in a potentially dangerous situation. It was a kid no more than 10 years old on rollerblades, shirtless, riding along on the sidewalk. But he was being followed by an older man that had his phone out. But he had his phone aimed straight at the kid as if he were filming him. They were both on the right-hand side of the road. The kid wasn't going very fast as it seemed like this might have been his first time on rollerblades. He was struggling a bit. Now, as I circled the block to do another pass-by to confirm what I saw, I tried to tell myself that it was just a dad filming his son or something like that. But he was just a bit too far behind the kid for that to really make sense. Honestly, the first time driving by, I was going a bit too fast to take in any more details than that, so I could have been mistaken. When I came back around the street where I saw the two of them, he was still there following the kid. He was about 20 feet from him. And as I pulled up a bit closer behind him, I could see that he was absolutely filming this kid from behind with his phone, staring intently at the screen. He wasn't saying a word. The kid didn't look back or anything. I slowed down when I reached the kid and rolled down my window to ask him if the guy behind him was his dad. He stopped and spun his head around to look at the man. And in that exact moment, I locked eyes with that man. He looked surprised and turned on heel and started to briskly walk in the opposite direction, fleeing the scene. The kid said that he didn't know the man. Realizing that I might look like a creep in this situation now, talking to an unaccompanied child from my car, I chose my words very carefully instead of asking where he lived. I told him that he should head home as soon as possible because it's not safe to be out alone with people like that guy around. With a slightly puzzled look, he said, okay. I drove off slowly, waiting, watching in my rearview mirror as the kid thankfully skated right up the driveway of a house not two or three houses down from where I had talked to him originally and went inside. I'm glad I was lucky enough to stop him near his own house so he could run to safety while he was still in my sight. I wouldn't have been able to just drive off and leave him alone. I then looked back to see that the man was no longer on our street and had probably turned on a nearby corner just to lose us. I drove around a bit longer, completely void of any excitement that I had previously felt about getting off of work. I wanted to catch this guy and give him a piece of my mind. I did, however, get a good enough look at him and his face that I could pick him out in a lineup. He was very tall, a balding man with these thick horn-rimmed glasses. You know, the kind that Buddy Holly would wear. From that point on, any time that I was in that neighborhood on that route, I kept my eye out for that guy, but I never saw him again. Nor did I see the kid. About a month later, my girlfriend convinced me to attend her church for a special service that they were having. The goal was for everyone to bring a friend or family for this one time. I wasn't religious or anything, but I was young and falling in love, so I told her I would go. The music was pretty good. I was actually enjoying myself. Everyone was super nice and friendly. It seemed like something that I could really get into, you know. Well, 
After the music and worship portion of the service had ended, the man who I assumed was their pastor came out from behind an office door on the platform to take to the pulpit. Is this where things get weird and boring? I asked my girlfriend. She snickered and elbowed me hard. I smiled and rubbed my arm where she had hit me. That smile, however, dropped from my face when I looked up at the man that was at the pulpit. My girlfriend noticed my change in expression as the color probably drained from my face at that very moment. There was no mistaking it. My girlfriend's pastor was the man from before. Her pastor was the creep that was stalking and filming a shirtless kid in broad daylight. The man that fled the scene as soon as I pointed him out from my car and disappeared into the neighborhood. The man towered over the congregation as he spoke with authority in the deepest voice I had ever heard. He wore those same thick black glasses, that same balding head, same everything. I told my girlfriend that I would explain what was wrong after the service. She pushed the topic, but I didn't want to make a scene or draw attention to myself in case he remembered my face. I just sort of kept my head down, and we dipped out as soon as the sermon was over. I didn't really listen to anything he had to say, but the creepy thing that I do remember is that he brought up his family, specifically his kids, during his sermon. This made me feel sick. When we got to my car, I told my girlfriend the entire story. She questioned me multiple times, asking me, Max, are you sure it's the same person? He's just such a nice man, he would never do something like that. I assured her that I got a very clear look at the guy's face. We literally made eye contact for a brief moment when he realized that I had found him out, right before he took off. I told her I, I didn't want her going back to that church anymore, and that I'd be happy to even help her find somewhere else to go. Hell, I'd even go with her. But I couldn't live with myself knowing that she'd be seeing that man talking with him and being spiritually led by him. She cried and cried, but finally accepted my story as truth and agreed. I thought I had put this whole thing behind me. There wasn't really anything that I could do. I don't think that he actually committed a crime. I don't really have any proof of it anyways, except for maybe the kid's testimony. But I hadn't seen that kid since, and I couldn't remember the exact house. Plus, what was I supposed to do? Just walk up to random houses and ask to have a look at their kids? I just put the whole thing behind me and found another church that we both liked, and life went on for about a few months. One day, I got a call from my girlfriend, who told me that she had received a Facebook message from one of her friends that used to go to the old church with the pervy pastor. I braced myself as I knew that this couldn't be good. Unfortunately, I was right. It turns out he had been chatting online with multiple kids from the church, including my girlfriend's friend's little brother. So, she was able to share some of the details with my girlfriend. He had been grooming her little brother, along with the other children from the church. He would ask them to send pictures online and talk with them about very adult topics that I will not get into. But, if you've ever seen To Catch a Predator, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Her little brother was the first one to come forward when this creepy fuck asked for him to send naked photos. They told the police immediately, and they turned over the boy's computer for evidence. He was arrested shortly after, when the police set up a sting to catch him in the act. 
they found all kinds of disgusting evidence, both at his house and on the computer at the church office. I was so upset at myself that I didn't speak up. But I never would have guessed any of this was going on. I had no clue. But I am glad that he was caught. And I know now that my gut was right. I now always trust my gut. So to the pastor that groomed the kids at his church and kept God knows what kind of filthy evidence at your home and in your church, let's not meet. Because I'll remember your face forever. Back when I was about 20, a friend of mine got into some trouble and went to jail. He needed someone to go and stay at his place to take care of his elderly dog and keep his bird fed. I immediately accepted, as I really didn't want to live with my mom and her new, younger boyfriend. Now here is where I probably should mention that my friend was into some not-so-great things. That's how he ended up in jail. So naturally, that meant that there were some pretty shady characters around. Those characters usually waited until after I went to bed to start coming around and helping themselves to whatever they desired. That was bad enough on its own. But since my friend couldn't pay his electricity bill from jail, there were also no lights. Since the bedroom I was staying in had a deadbolt and another lock, I felt okay in there. I now, of course, realize how stupid and naive I was back then. After all, I'm only five foot three, and back then, I only weighed about 100 pounds. I guess my desperation for independence drove me to brave it. I would literally wake up the next day to find footprints outside the living room window, and even found the phone line was cut outside once. While all of that was going on, my friend's creepy ass missing tooth pervert landlord started randomly showing up. The landlord lived only three football fields away. Apparently my friend couldn't pay rent from jail either. He also didn't want me to tell his landlord that he was in jail. So I had to keep giving some stupid excuse about him being away at his family's. But that excuse only went so far. And probably knowing full well that it was bullshit, the landlord started showing up even more often. And when he did, he started saying some nasty things like, My wife and I would be pretty excited to have you over, especially in a bikini. Soon enough, though, the landlord became angry, more frustrated, each and every time he would show up. He would show up at any given time. And since I didn't drive, I was usually there for these unfortunate visits. Eventually, he just started straight up walking in, not even bothering to knock anymore. I told him that that was illegal, but he didn't seem to care at all. Remember, earlier in the story, I mentioned that I slept in a locked room. Well, unfortunately, on that particular morning, I had already got up and made a trip to the kitchen for some water after the sun had came up. Because of the daylight, I didn't bother locking the door again, and just closed it. 
Not long after I had fallen back to sleep, a strange, slight noise woke me up. It was sort of a soft clicking sound. I gradually opened my eyes, but I didn't see anything and I tried to go back to sleep. But then, I'm suddenly startled back awake, as I just could feel another presence in the room with me. As I slowly focused my eyes in the light, I saw the old landlord standing over me, mouth-breathing, with this creepy grin across his sinister face. I instantly bolted upright, whilst grabbing the bedsheet and pulling it up over my body. I then went from zero to sixty in less than one second. I jumped out of the bed and yelled, What the fuck do you think you're doing right now? I walked towards him angrily. He backed right the heck up and apparently ran out the front door. I locked it behind him, screaming, I'm calling the cops. The police arrived, but since I had no proof and he didn't hurt me, they really couldn't do much. To this day, I'll never forget the sound of that landlord, his mouth breathing as he was leaning over my sleeping, unsuspecting body. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Don't forget if you're a patron, stick around after the music for your extended ad-free version of this week's episode. And if you're looking to get your weekly dose of the true paranormal or supernatural, check out the new episode of my other podcast, Odd Trails, at oddtrails.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This week you have heard ATV Nightmare by Melissa, Stalker Through the Peephole by Julia, Stranger Danger by Nat. My Friend's Dad by The Celery Girl. The Pastor by Max. And finally, The Old Landlord by Sonora. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. As always, if you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. And if you want to get access to the extended version of this week's episode, all ad-free at a higher bit rate, as well as a bunch of other bonus content, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode. Stay safe. This happened a little over a year ago in February. My boyfriend and I had met up for dinner at a place called Spillway.